Good morning, Forest Park. Great to have you guys here today. We are wrapping up a two-part series called How to Kill the Church. Glad you are here. If you were not with us last week, highly encourage you to go to our YouTube channel. Check out part one. It may answer some questions you could have at the end of today's message. Let's jump in and kind of review a little bit where we were last week, and then we'll get into part two. These past 16 months have been difficult. The pandemic with the closures and confusion and fears and political divisions and arguments over masks and changing of schedules and people forming new habits on Sundays made this season tough to navigate. And at times, doubt would rise in my mind and fears would flutter in my heart and questions would keep me awake at night. And I'm sure I am not the only pastor or business owner or leader at any level that you know, had not, you know, to have these doubts and, and fears. It's just kind of part of this last, these last two years. And when these fears would rise, when these doubts would surge, I had to lean on a promise Jesus made his disciples so long ago. And it's found in Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And based on this promise, we know ultimately no thing and no person will ever kill the church. And while this is true at the macro level, the 30,000-foot level, the influence and power of local churches, however, ebbs and flows, increases and decreases, rises and falls due to several factors. We know there have been seasons of revivals and seasons of stagnation within local churches. There have been times when people turn their hearts and minds in mass to God. And there have been times when people have turned their hearts and minds away from God in mass. And within our culture, and we got into this last week and got into the details of it, within our culture, in the Western culture, in the USA, and several other prosperous nations, the church's influence overall is waning declining, fading. We've lost a lot of ground. This is a time of weakness and withdrawal and slowness. And last Sunday, I provided several reasons as to why this is true. And one reason being the church has departed from its proper function and form. In other words, we moved away from what the church is. We've denied its nature and we embraced what we wanted the church to become. And it greatly backfired. And we got into the details of all that last week, and hopefully you tracked along. What does that mean? Well, it means that we turned the church into a self-help organization. And we attracted customers. And customers at their core are consumers. So we kicked off this series last week by saying the first way to kill a church is to fill it with consumers. What are consumers? People who consume what is offered and leave a tip on the way out. It was a real encouraging and uplifting message, and if you weren't here, you sh should have been here. Everybody left with smiles, and they were just excited. And today we're wrapping it up, because we don't want to sit here too long. <laughs> we sit here for six weeks in this series, nobody will show up, right? But today I want to give you another reason, another poison that is slowly killing local churches and we're going to hit it today, going to get into the details of this, then we're going to wrap this series up and begin something new next week. And here it is, the second one, cynicism. Now, folks, I, I'm embarrassed to admit, but I'm a cynic. 
all right? I question everything and everyone. I do not reflexively assume the best of people's character. I assume the worst. I assume people are selfish, dishonest, harbor ulterior motives, look out for themselves. Now, it's better today following Jesus and my fair share of failures tempered me, but I continue to secretly interrogate people's intentions, and it makes it especially challenging being a pastor because a pastor should assume the best, defend people's actions, take people at their word. You know, that's the nature of a shepherd, right? And if I were less cynical throughout my life, I would have slept better, had lower blood pressure, and be 30 pounds lighter and probably would have enjoyed a lot more weekends. But that's not my story. I'm embarrassed to admit that my story is one of mistrust and doubt and negativity and suspicion, and it has taken its toll. In fact, if I had to list the attitudes, behaviors, and personality quirks causing most problems between my wife Lana and me, we've been married 31 years, I think my cynicism would be close to the top. I'm unsure of all the reasons. I could probably give you a list of reasons why I'm cynical and, you know, how I grew up and stories that I've gone through and experiences I've had and all those different things. But even if I gave you a reasonably long list of reasons, um, it'd be incomplete because there are some things going on inside of me that causes me to think the way I do and act the way I do that I don't even understand. Maybe one day I will. And some of you are exactly the same. You know what I'm talking about. Since you arrived here today, you have been skeptical of the music, the offering, the videos, people in the lobby, an announcement made, a prayer prayed, a song, at least one, maybe all of them. And I know you're skeptical because I see you on Facebook and other social media platforms. You question the government, the school system, community leaders, the police, the black community, the white community, immigrants, President Trump, President Biden, the governor, the city officials, the school board. You question the validity of the election, the vaccine, the virus, the economy, gas prices, the motives of judges, attorneys, police officers, and eyewitnesses. You have opinions about why people get divorced, have affairs, fight for custody, take another job, date this person. And you have ideas about whether someone is truly gay or straight or transgender and how they should all be treated. You question why people continue to be addicted, what they should or should stop doing. You're confident about the president and how he ought to run the country and what got the governors ought to do about people not working and welfare and food distribution and our rusty bridges and our potholes. And you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if anybody would ask you, you could fix the long line at Chick-fil-A. And then there's the church. You have issues with the music and the temperature and the sermon length and the lighting and the use of money and the hiring and dismissal of staff and the volume and the meaning of scriptures and the singing and the children's ministry and the coffee in the lobby and the decoration and the outreach to Ecuador and Uganda and the planning of VBS and whether or not we should put our drums in a cage. And we might as well laugh. Now listen, folks, it's, it's important to understand voicing a complaint does not mean you are a cynic. Neither is criticizing an idea or decision. One can complain or criticize in a healthy way. In fact, we need people who have sharp eyes and critical thinking skills. We need people with abilities to assess problems and bring solutions. So please do not hear me say this morning that we need people within our churches and society who merely go with the flow and accept whatever comes down the pipeline. That is not what we are addressing this morning. 
I'm addressing a critical spirit, a cynical attitude, and I am especially talking about, because I have at least a small level of knowledge and understanding as it applies to the church. And this attitude is slowly hurting, poisoning, and killing the church across our nation. And I've been here at Forest Park for about 20 years and 10 years prior to that, so about 30 years of ministry experience. And i got to say, I think it's possibly worse today than I've ever seen it. More and more people are leaving churches and throwing rocks at those who remain and especially at those who choose to lead churches. Everybody seems to know how a church should be led, but virtually no one wants to step up and lead one. And more and more people are drinking coffee around a table made up of their friends and calling it a church. Now, I know that there are people gathered here and people watching online, and you're kind of pushing back against it. You're saying, you know, I, that's not me, Scott. I mean, I'm not cynical. I'm not critical. And that certainly may be true, and I hope it is. In fact, it's probably truer for those of you gathered here than for many people who aren't here. And why do I say that? Well, the very fact that you're in the service and you're participating says you have hope and you're not quitting and you believe the best. But there are more cynics among us than we care to admit. And it has taken me a long time to get to the place where I actually look in the mirror and say, Scott, you don't just have an opinion, you're a cynic. You don't just disagree, you're cynical. And it's taken me a long journey to get to the place where I actually had to look at Scripture and look in the mirror and look in the face of Jesus and actually begin a process of repenting from an attitude that is hurting more than helping. There are some of us who are married to cynics. There are some of us who have birthed one or two cynics. Some of us work with several cynics. Some of us greet the cynic in the mirror every single morning. So before we go any further, let's just pause and let's define a cynic. What is a cynic? A cynic is a person with an attitude of distrust of others' motives. A cynic questions the authenticity of someone who is serving others, giving to others, helping others. A cynic assumes people are motivated not by love or goodness or kindness, but rather greed, ambition, desire for applause. They believe people are deceitful and vain and deserve ridicule and judgment, not praise and acclaim. A cynic is someone, let's just get real practical, a cynic is someone who sees another person driving in an expensive car and wonders who he or she knows or how did he or she cheat the system in order to get the car. That's just a cynic. A cynic thinks successful people aren't better than them, only more willing to compromise their values and ethics to achieve more success in life. There's no way that person actually earned it. They probably cheated someone to get it. They probably know someone, or they probably slept with someone in order to achieve all that. That's a cynic. A cynic sees himself or herself as more than ethical, more ethical than others, purer than others, more honest than others. A cynic would say, you know, I might not have a lot, but what I have, I got honest. Implying others probably didn't get it honest. Others probably cheated to get what they have. Now, how do I know if I'm a cynic? Well, if you haven't 
been able to figure it out yet. Maybe this will help. A strong cynic is listening to this message right now and trying to figure out the reason that I'm preaching this message. I must have some people I'm trying to highlight right now. I must be delivering a message behind the message. I have shady motives. I'm trying to say something without saying something. You see how a cynic thinks? A cynic always questions why someone does what they do. It can't be pure. It can't be ethical. There's got to be an angle to every person. Here are a few other ways. Cynics draw conclusions about a person based on behaviors. They don't want to hear about the reasons or the stories. They don't want to know about the, 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 the whys behind the whats. They just watch the whats and make the judgment. You know what's interesting about a cynic? A cynic will look at someone's behavior and draw conclusions based on that person's behavior, but want the same person to draw conclusions about them based on their intentions. In other words, if I see you do something wrong, that's because your heart is corrupt. If I do something wrong, I want you to see the, the reasons behind what I did. I want you to judge my intentions, not my behaviors. That's cynics. Cynics provide more complaints than ideas, more problems than solutions, more heat than warmth. Cynics place themselves in a remnant of the courageous truth-tellers. Cynics assume they carry the light for those who are still in darkness. Cynics have little patience for the failures of others. Cynics want people to pay for their sins and their crimes, but they should not get away with it. Cynics want people to be exposed and found out and revealed. Cynics rarely stay the course to foster change. Cynics don't believe much change is going to come, so they exit and they stand on the outside and throw rocks back at the system. Cynics get outside because they see themselves as being better than, holier than, elevated higher than, more enlightened than those who remain on the inside. Cynics feel sorry for those still trapped in what they have been delivered from. Do you know why I wrote that list? Do you know how I wrote that list? Do you know that I wrote that list in about five minutes? Because I'm a cynic. And I know how cynics think. And I know where God has placed his finger in my life and said, that is not like my son. That is not grace. That is not the gospel. That will not grow the church, that will kill it. And you know, there's probably a little cynicism in all of us, so let's just be honest, okay? Let's just be honest. And now some of you are like, you know what, I like the way I think, and I like the way I feel, fine. But I'll just confess to you that for years, I mean years, I swam those shark-infested waters. And I say shark-infested because when you swim with cynics, everyone questions each other. And nobody trusts anybody else. And where there is no trust, there is no love. And where there is no love, hate spawns. And it is just a matter of time before cynics destroy one another. Been there, done that, don't want to go back. So where do we go from here, Scott? Tell me there's some hope. There is. 
One resource I came across years ago was a book, probably about 10 years ago. I picked it up, read it, put it on my shelf, thought I'll probably use that one day. It's called Faith Without Illusions, Following Jesus as a Cynic Saint, written by Dr. Andrew Byers. And another resource I came across was a two-part blog written on cynicism by Pastor David Flowers. And in David's blog, he admits to being, similar to myself, a recovering cynic. And he lists a few reasons why he wants to be, now notice this word, why he wants to be healed from cynicism. Now, I have never connected cynicism and healing. I thought being a cynic was just kind of a choice. You know, I'm, I think negatively. I, I see, you know, ulterior motives behind people's actions, so I just need to stop doing that. Never occurred to me that it wasn't just a choice. It was something that I needed to be healed from. See, most of us do not think about cynics needing to be healed. But the more I thought about myself and the more I thought about my story and why I think the way I do and why I treat people the way I do, I realized, you know what, it is not just a matter of choice. There was something going on inside of me that I needed to be healed from, and when I'm healed from that, my cynicism will start decreasing. You see, virtually all cynics are wounded people. Their criticism is coming from unhealed injuries. Dr. Lisa Firestone, she's a clinical psychologist, she writes this. She said, cynicism is part of a defensive posture we take to defend or protect ourselves. I never thought about that before. She said it is typically triggered when we feel hurt by or angry at something, and instead of dealing with those emotions directly, we allow them to fester and skew our outlook. When we grow cynical toward one thing in our lives, we may slowly start to turn on everything. That, my friend, is my story. And what's so interesting is that I slowly, inwardly turned on so many things on the outside while I sat in church week after week. Lifting my hands and worshiping and singing and clapping and even preaching messages, but inside wounded and hurt and not allowing God to bring healing to those things. And I would just look out my little window, my little house, and I would judge her, and I would judge him, and I'd be cynical about that church, and cynical about those people, and cynical over there, and cynical over there. And you know what I call all of that? I call all of that discernment, wisdom, truth. But it was all a protective mechanism to keep people who I was afraid would hurt me again at bay. Over the years, I've watched people leave Forest Park and other churches, not just here, I'm talking about across the nation. I have friends who are pastors and people in this community I know who are pastors. And people leave churches. That's, that's life. But I've watched people leave because they were hurt. And listen, folks, church hurt is real hurt. I'm not minimizing it. I know. I grew up in church. My family's been hurt. I've been hurt. That's just part of it. And we get hurt because churches are filled with people. And people are imperfect. And people sin. And people lie. And they can lift their hands and worship God with tears streaming down their face and lie to you 10 minutes later. Been there, done that, seen it. People hurt people. So you're going to get hurt. 
So I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It does. But what I've noticed is that rather than people dealing with their pain and sitting down and working through it like adults in the body of Christ, instead of asking for forgiveness or even granting forgiveness, they allowed their hurts to fester until they became cynical. I've seen it over and over and over again. And rather than allowing the Spirit of God to bring healing into that person's life and maybe this brother and this brother and this sister and this sister and these people coming together and sitting down and dealing with things and working through them and getting better in the process, they just remove themselves and throw rocks at one another and you're the problem. No, you're the problem and become cynical people. Folks, almost no cynic thinks he or she is cynical, okay? So you, you can't ask, hey, um, did you allow your hurt to make you cynical? Because they'll almost say no every time. And right now, our society is hurt by and angry at so much. I mean, just, just try to get behind what you see in social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the different things. Don't, don't just read the surface. Try to read behind what you see. Try to read behind what's going on. There are millions of people who are hurt and wounded. They are angry and they're hurt by the government, the liberals, the conservatives, the racists, the Black Lives Matter groups, and our society is hurt by and angry at white supremacists and all the different views of politics and where people come down. And they're hurt and angry by the church. The priests and the pastors and all the stuff that's been covered up and the scandals. We have a, an entire country hurt by and wounded by so many different systems and institutions and people in authority. You know what we have? We have a nation in need of healing. And we have people sitting in churches all across this nation wounded and bleeding and in need of healing. So when you meet a cynic, I know the, the first kind of response to a cynic is to buck up yourself and try to overcome their argument and try to win one and gain a point. I know, I've been there, I've done that. And argue, I like to argue. I win most arguments. I pride myself in that. Isn't that sick? I mean, really. But when you meet a cynic, you're meeting a hurting person. When you meet a cynic, you're meeting an unhealed person. When you meet a cynic, you're dealing with a wounded man, a wounded woman who was trying to defend from being hurt again. And hurting people hurt people. And hurting people throw rocks. And hurting people call names. And hurting people accuse. And hurting people lie. And hurting people quit. And hurting people run. And hurting people kill churches. And we need healing. Well, is there an alternative? Yes. Dr. Andrew Breyers writes, he says, we are in dire need for redeemed cynics. Man, I love that line. Redeemed cynics. Because there's other wonderful things about cynics. 
Many of them are critical thinkers. Many of them are sharp. Many of them have read and have information and are ready to kind of go at it and can argue and can really put an argument to test and push and test things and, 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 and really look at the validity of an argument. There's so many good. We need redeemed cynics to dress their wounds that they may rise up and flourish in the truths revealed to them for the health of the church and the glory of God. You see, here's, here's what I know. There are several cynics gathered right here, cynics watching online. But when you are healed of your deep wounds, you will rise and you will be incredible bearers of good news of the transforming power of the gospel. You will be able to say, you know what, I was sour and I was cynical and I was critical and I carried those wounds with me for years. But God, he healed me and transformed me and remade me. But I have a warning. Until that happens, you will remain a stale predictable piece of wounded humanity pointing out all the problems that most of us already know exist and offering little to no better future and you will throw rocks and others will get hurt it's either healing or hurt david flowers provides a few reasons to be healed of cynicism i love these and these were these grabbed me he says number one god is not cynical you ever think about that? If we truly believe God is revealed in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how is it that we remain cynical? Jesus took on sin and criticism and ridicule and greed and violence and loved his enemies. Let me just jump on a soapbox real quick. Some of us can't sit in the same, on the same row as our enemies. We can't go to the same restaurant with our enemies or talk kindly about our enemies, and yet in the face of all that happened to him, he loved them. So if God is not cynical, and in the face of all the things that happened to his son, he still loved and he washed the feet of those who would betray him, how is it that we remain cynical and say we follow him? It may not touch you at all. That may not grip your heart at all, but it, it grips mine because I have been the opposite of that. Number two, the renewal of the earth and the spread of God's kingdom happen in and through the church. As difficult as it might be for us to accept, it is true. So how can we be so cynical about the method God chose to renew and spread the message of love and grace? You know, the, the, the method God used to, to spread love and grace, the method he chose is his church made up of imperfect, broken, upside down, inside out, inconsistent people. There is no other method. Well, I'm waiting for something good to come along. This is it. <laughs> There, there is no plan B. You're it. He chose the church. He chose us. He chose us who sometimes get up depressed. He chose us sometimes who don't even believe what we read in Scripture. He chose us who make promises and break them. He chose us who sometimes act so unredeemed it's embarrassing. 
He chose us. He chose us to bear the message of grace. He chose us to carry love to the world. He chose us. How can we remain cynical when you're surrounded by the very method he has chosen to change the world? Number three. Boy, this one hits. Jesus didn't make fun of those who didn't get it. Did Jesus get angry? Sure he did. Was he at times disappointed at the slowness of the faith of his followers? Yes, absolutely. But he never gave up on them. He never fell into the trap of leaving them and ridiculing them and making He always loved them. And it's embarrassing, folks, what I see sometimes through social media, people who bear the name of Christ laughing and mocking at other people who vote differently laughing and mocking at people who come to different conclusions about Scripture than you do. How, how is it that we are so imperfect that we don't even know all the truth and the one who knew it all never fell to the place of ridiculing, mocking, and laughing and trying his best to make fun of people who didn't get it? Maybe every, you know, so many other people, are, they're, just, they're just not at your level yet. Be patient. You know? They don't have the gold streets in their grasp like you do. They're not like Jesus as much as you are. They have marital problems and financial problems, and sometimes they're impatient. They don't get up in a good mood like you do all the time. Be patient with people. Some people are actually tempted to sin, not like you, but they're tempted to sin. Be patient with people. They don't put their nose in scriptures as much as you do, and their knees aren't callous like yours from praying so much. Be patient with people. They're far, far, far down the line from where you are. Be patient with them. Number four, God's kingdom is alive and well. Do you believe this? If you don't, then you need to get outside the U.S. more and see what's happening around our world. Because I'm going to tell you, the church is alive and the kingdom of God is alive around this planet. There are people coming to Christ and building churches around this planet that would boggle your mind. People standing shoulder to shoulder in church services across this nation, across this world, and will sit in a two-hour service and empty out the, the sanctuary and fill it up again, shoulder to shoulder for two hours, and empty it out and fill it up a third time, shoulder to shoulder for two hours. The church is alive. Why do we remain cynical when his kingdom is alive and well? And the last one he gives is Jesus made a way for us to rise above cynicism. Ephesians 3, 10, 11. Listen to this scripture. His intent, his intent, his intent was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is he going to accomplish it? Through the church. He made a way for us to rise above cynicism. How? By staying involved in the church made up of imperfect people and moving forward together and growing together and loving together and serving together and forgiving together and worshiping together and helping one another. I think even Paul was surprised God chose the church to bring about the kingdom. I think sometimes when he was writing that, it was like his intent was now that through the church, say, why do you say that about Paul? 
Do you have any idea how messed up the New Testament church was? If you ever think the New Testament church had it all figured out and Paul pastored and led a perfect church, you do not know the New Testament church. They fought with one another. They filed lawsuits against one another Paul had to deal with. They were sleeping with other people in the church. They were getting drunk during communion. They used real wine, and people would come in and drink so much of it, they were literally drunk during the communion service. Can you imagine if that happened here at FPC, what people would say on Facebook? And that was the New Testament church that Paul said will be and carry the wisdom of God to the ends of the earth. If that was the kind of church Paul dealt with, and those were the problems Paul was having, and he said that, hey, it's the church that's going to do it, why are we so cynical? It's always been like that because people are messed up. Not you, but the people around you are messed up. And then David provides seven ways, and I'm not giving you seven, seven ways to hopeful realism and for the sake of time and our inability to process all that information. I'm just going to give you three quick ones. How do we move toward hopeful realism? In other words, we're not, we're not, we're not being dishonest. It's real problems in the church, reasons to be cynical, all that. But we got to be hopeful realists. We accept what's real, but we're filled with hope. How do we move to hopeful realism? Number one, don't give up meeting with the church. Don't give it up. You were created for community. When you're outside a worshiping community of believers, you're vulnerable. Isolation is a breeding ground for cynicism. Join a church. Stop making excuses for why you're not being in fellowship with other people. Well, the church doesn't meet my needs. That typically means I like the preaching somewhere else. The sermons don't feed me. That's fine. But remember, the church isn't designed to meet your needs. The church, all of us, is designed to meet the needs of one another. And the greatest need we have is to grow spiritually, and we will never grow spiritually if everyone has your attitude. That's tough, isn't it? You know how I know? Because I've lived it, and it stinks. Well, I don't need the church to be a Christian. Typically means I like to go and come when I want, and I don't like people counting on me, so I'll attend when I feel like it. And if I don't feel like it, I'll just make up my own church with me and my friends. A healthy church isn't made up of you and your friends and family who basically believe the same, worship the same, think the same, vote the same, hate the same, love the same. That's closer to a cult than a church. A church is made up of people who see things. Look, Folks, if you put people in a room who all think the same way, love and hate the same things, laugh at the same things, vote the same way, see all politics the same way, it's pretty easy to wash their feet. But put people in a room who vote differently than you, who see politics differently than you, who see Scripture differently than you, who actually don't even agree with some of the things that you agree with and they disagree with other things, now wash their feet. Now we're in church. So I don't believe that. Folks, do you have any idea the political divisions among just the 12 disciples alone? They were fighting with one another just over the whole power of Rome and who was going to lead and how the kingdom of God was going to come. 
and we are to wash the feet of people who see life differently than us. That's a church. You sit down at a table. You sit down at a table and you eat bread and you drink juice, the body and blood of Christ with people who might kill you the next day. That's a church. It's easy to love people when they all see it your way. Help us. It's killing the church at large, the cynicism. Number two, cynicism like misery loves company. Don't network with others who are cynical. It may make you feel better to congregate with other cynics for a time, but in the end it will kill your spiritual life if you don't move out of it. If you are surrounded by other Christians who are constantly negative and sarcastic and cynical, it is time to make a change. In your state, they will keep you from moving on. And folks, one of the dangers of cynicism is attracting more cynics and alienating those who aren't. And eventually, a cynic is surrounded by more and more cynics and less and less positive people, and the cynics begin to believe his or her opinion is common. It's not common. You've just surrounded yourself by people who believe the same way you do. Get outside your bubble, and you'll see how uncommon some of your views are. It's a church, eclectic. All these different people coming together. And number three, last one I'm going to give you. Ask the God of hope to break your hardness and renew your heart. This is what I have to do constantly because of my bent and my personality and my story and my wounds. God, I want new eyes to see the church and the world the way you do. Not my way, your way. You know what my way is? My way is forget all of you. Just forget it. You don't agree with me, then fine, leave. I don't need you anyway. Is that the way of Christ? No. Pray God will give you the strength to let go of a cynical heart and mind and ask God to give you an enduring spirit of hope that he gave Jesus in the face of sin and death. Folks, I, I just got to be honest with you as I wrap this up. Th this is personal. And you say, well, I can tell you're, you're passionate. You're, yes, it's personal. Over these last 16 to 18 months, I have found a lot of reasons to be cynical as if I didn't already have enough. And I fed on some of them. The pandemic, FPC closed for seven months with no services. As a result, people disconnecting that we've worked to connect and try to love and serve. Ghosting of people. Anybody had people just ghost you? What do you say? What is that? They just never, they just leave your life after you've known them and they just leave no explanation, no goodbyes, no thank you. Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah. Just gone. Hurts, doesn't it? Loss of contributions, unable to complete our offices that we wanted to complete, Ecuador canceled, Uganda canceled, a door conference canceled, closures of businesses in our community, family members sick, friends sick, people I know love and died. Friends, not friends anymore. It's personal. You see, all we always know that pastors are not immune from cynicism. We're humans first. Husbands, wives, first. Parents, first. And I need to learn and live 
everything I preach today, and sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. And if you think it's hard to hear, you should preach it. If you think it's hard to hear, you should write it. If you think it's hard to hear, you should write it, preach it, and have three kids living in your home and bringing it up whenever you don't live it. I've had that throughout the years, you know. It stings. So I'm on a journey of what is called repentance. It's not a one-time thing, you know. I wish it were. It's not a one-time thing. Repentance is turning your direction and walking toward truth rather than lies. It's turning around and going a different way, and that takes time, and that's a process, and it's a change of thought, and it's a different tract, and everything is just shifting and different. Review. Don't give up meeting. Don't give up on the bride of Christ, the church. Choose to hang with people who are hope-filled, not cynical. And three, ask God to break your hardness and renew your heart. Let's pray. Father, we've had a lot of reasons over the last couple of years to be cynical. People have let us down. Government has let us down. Lies all over the news. We've had scandals in the church. We've had personal hurt. We've had all kinds of things that have caused us to question the validity of a lot of things. We are a nation who is hurt. We are angry. We are wounded. We've become in a lot of ways cynical. And Father, only you can change our heart. Only you can change that nature in us. Father, may we stare at the cross. May we peer into the tomb. May we sit with you in the upper room and watch you wash the feet of those who politically disagreed with one another, who was going to walk out of that very room and betray you, who was going to walk out and deny they ever even knew you, ghosting right there. God, help us to be different than that and to be bearers of truth and bearers of grace and bearers of love and bearers of goodness and mercy and patience and kindness, not negativity and criticism and throwing rocks. God, help us. Help us to take the message of good news, of grace and mercy and kindness and peace to people who need it. But God, we can't give what we don't have. Fill us full with your spirit of love so that we can pour it out on those who need it around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a good day. Thanks.